No, I don't. I don't like it at all. I think uh, Ulster teams are fed up playing each other. We may have seen the last of Jimmy. I hope. I hope not. But uh, realistically, at his age, um, there's a good chance that, that we could have seen the last of him. 99% of the people who come forward uh, as as in having a gambling problem will be a crisis point. So they'll have hidden everything from their family the whole way through. Unless it's there's some sort of joined up thinking and there's some sort of um, drive from a governmental point of view. I think sometimes you feel as if you're banging your head against a brick wall. It gets very, very frustrating. There's always a way out. Um, and uh, you must share it with somebody else. You must share it with another human being. If you, it doesn't matter who that human being is. Once you share it with somebody, your gambling will never ever be the same again. Most of you will recognise that as the voice of former County and Crossmaglen superstar Oshima Campbell. And this is your host Elaine Ingram. With the 2021 league set to get underway on Sunday and Armagh taking on Monaghan, um, Oshin gives us his thoughts and predictions for the season ahead. Oshin is also well known um, for the last 16 years for speaking out about gambling addiction and with um, pro the problem on the rise as the lockdown lifts particularly among young people. He tells us why he thinks that is and how it could possibly be alleviated. So, hi Oshin, how are you? Leon, how's things? Um, uh, I suppose the first thing I want to say to you is big day Sunday. Um, huge, huge game for our ma. Uh, I know like normally we'd be, have players complaining about McKenna Cup um, cold winter nights, uh, or and you know out training and playing the, the McKenna Cup that they'd be given out for out, out about it all the time. But I'd say they would give their right arm to have had <laughs> some sort of run up to this because you know talk about going straight into the fire. Yeah, and I think that's the thing for a lot of players. I think you know people talk about um, long pre seasons. I think that was that's when people say about. Uh, GA players and maybe the lack of enjoyment that's in it. I think a lot of that uh, lack of enjoyment comes from how long the preseason is now in order to play games. It doesn't need to be that long, and I think eventually we're coming to some sort of happy medium uh, by accident more than design. Yeah. Um, because of the pandemic, and I think players would be happy. I don't think players would be too bothered. The hurlers had three weeks. A lead-in time, and anybody who watched the hurling at the weekend will realise that there was nothing wrong with the quality. So I expect the same from the footballers. They've had four weeks now. They've had uh, a challenge match or two, um, and I think that uh, when people talk about hit the ground running, it's very prevalent for Armagh and Monaghan both to hit the ground running because I think the winners of this game are likely to stay in Division 1, whereas the losers of this game more than likely will uh, will be relegated. So that's how big is that it, the that's, way you're looking at it now? Well, that's how big it is straight away. Yeah. You know? And uh, I think because of that, um, as I say, you know, preparation obviously has to be key, but you have to have fresh players going into that game. So the slog that we would have associated with pre-season beforehand 
probably isn't what it was. And uh, and as I say, you know, the likes of Kieran McGinney and James McAneeny will be looking for sharpness and uh, how sharp his players are going into, as I say, what is possibly already a season-defining game. Yeah, because it is. I mean, when you look at Donegal and Tyrone, I mean, really, what do you think of the way they've done this? Um, do you, you know, how do you feel about the, the way they've set out the league this year? I mean, I know they were left in a position where, you know, we didn't have too many options, but how do you feel about the way it was handled? No, I don't I don't like it at all. I think uh, also teams are fed up playing each other. Yeah. Uh, I think we, you know, we already mentioned the McKenna Cup, which is obviously something that... Um, normally happens uh, earlier in the year we haven't had it but normally these players be playing against each other obviously playing against each other at at, uh, at club level um, and for them to to mix it up into like a mini Ulster Championship I thought they actually should have walked it in the complete reverse in that they should have kept the Ulster teams apart now that's obviously difficult in the fact that there's four well, I suppose it would be the, the travel restrictions you know were different and that kind of thing so I suppose they couldn't really predict what way that was going to go no they couldn't but uh, if we if we have our elite status back then travel restrictions shouldn't really well that's true yeah, you know shouldn't status, shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't really matter to us and, and for me I think that's an important aspect of all this as well is that you know we the GA didn't fight hard enough for for inter-county players, you know, as far as their elite status is concerned, and I think we're paying the price now, and we're paying the price in a couple of different ways, and that is the amounts of games, knockout championship, which is not ideal, and um, for a team who are who are, it's okay for a team who are established, like it's okay for a Dublin and a Dundee goal. Yeah, because they're gonna go, you know, they're gonna get plenty of games. They're gonna go to the latter stages of the championship, you imagine. Uh, but it's the teams that are trying to make the way, and it's the teams that are trying to improve. They've been stunted now for two years, and if anybody wonders why. You know, teams aren't bridging the gap. Well, then you just have to look at you know the last two seasons and the way they've been run. I do understand. I'm not living in a. I'm not living in a in a bubble. Like I do understand that there's a global pandemic going on. But at the same time, um, you know, I think in particular the teams from the lower tiers or the teams trying to bridge the gap have paid the biggest price of all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it seems that it's going to be such a sh- such a short season, and it's. It doesn't bode well for the future either because you get all these players that are, you know, not going to be not going to have the incentive when they know, you know, they're giving up their, they're giving up so much to potentially only play what four games or. Yeah, and when you think of the the rigors of trying to stay fit, like anybody out there, uh, and when I say anybody out there, I include myself in this, the motivation to get up and do things day to day when you know that things are not normal um, as far as exercising that is concerned but these guys were exercising not, they weren't exercising they were training at a very high level yeah. on their own sometimes maybe in twos or threes at different stages but it, it is so difficult to keep motivated under those circumstances and if you do, if you go back into the squad and you're not at the level where everybody else is at you pay the price so I mean, there's a lot of pressure on inter-county players right now. And like when player, when people think about inter-county players and they think of, you know, the rigours of being an inter-county player, the lack of reward a lot of the time for the gays who are not at the top, top level. Um, I suppose that's, you know, I look at that and I think, you know, the one payback for all these players is exposure. It's games, it's 
you know yeah. it's uh it's competitive games and, and unfortunately as you say they're not just getting that uh level of games this year and, and for me that's disappointing yeah and even like the top players you know that are guaranteed to get you know guaranteed to get on the team there's a there's a whole load of other players that okay. are fighting for their places and so they might not get any game time at all well most squads are probably carrying 35 36 players at this stage so not only are they not going to be playing but some of them aren't even going to make match day squads yeah. you know what i mean and that they're the players who are so sacrificing much at the, the sorry sacrificing the most at this stage yeah and Kieran Kieran McGinley like has you know from the very start of his tenure in charge he's you know pushed trying to get this squad to have a unity and to have fight, fighting for the jersey and that's been his remit from the start and he really had done really well you know up to up to this and i mean it's not going to be such a big setback for you know for him in terms of trying to motivate these players again well i think the one good thing what geezer has now is he knows having gone through what everybody has gone through he knows the players who are highly motivated to be uh inter county players now i think he has everybody he wants bar one or two which most counties most counties are in the same boat um, but I think the players he has now, he realise how dedicated they are, how um, how committed they are to the RMA cause. And I think if we give him that at the start of uh, the year, or maybe even at the start of his tenure for five years ago, uh, he would have tucked that. He would have snapped, snapped that off you with both hands. So um, as much as it's tough uh, and it's hard to keep everybody on board, I think Armagh uh, are in a lucky position in that they have most of the people that, 99% of the people that they want in that squad are there. Yeah, the, uh, now Jamie, Jamie Clark is away in Paris, I believe. Um, so what do you think? Uh, he's, he's out for the season, most likely. And do you think, I mean, I know I read somewhere that you, you thought that maybe this was um, the, the end of, potentially. Uh, it's, yeah, it's well... Like <laughs> I think he still has plenty to offer, so I wouldn't want to to write it write him off. But he's he's dipped in there to the squad now for some time, and uh, he's like a player that wasn't really sure of what he wanted in life, I suppose. And uh, and it seems to be that he's sort of made his mind up this time, and he's going to travel or he's going to live in Paris or wherever he is. Um, and and best luck to him because I think yeah I mean he's perfectly entitled to do that but I mean he's just a, a young guy like anybody else so and I, and I, and I think most people appreciate that and most people yeah. empathise with that but I think that's such a huge talent it's just yeah it's, it is it's 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 very frustrating and I said at the time you know when I heard it that it's probably more frustrating for supporters than it is for for Jamie because. Jamie probably has, I would like to think he's figured this out in his head this time and he knows exactly what he wants. And uh, and I suppose stuff like football is, um, you realise how important it is to you when you're gone from it. Yeah. And I think that's what has happened Jamie in the past. But look, he, he knows in inside of this, I think this is his third or fourth time that he's, he's opted to travel or, or, or something like that but having said that you're 100% right in that that's his prerogative to do yeah. that it's his life it, not everybody wants the same things from life and I think he, he, he but he, he's always I, I feel as if he's always been given the freedom to do that 
and being given the opportunity to step back in. I just think that, you know... That must be frustrating for other players too, that, you know, are, are making the squad and then Jamie comes back and, you know, I wonder, does that cause any sort of tension at all? Like there's, no, there's no doubt that, you know, somebody stepping in and out will, will cause tension. But I think when you're as talented as Jamie are, I yeah. think uh, you tend to get maybe a bit of a bye ball. But uh, his age profile now is, 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 you know, he's 31, almost 31 years of age, I think. So, like, uh, as an inter-county player, he's probably yeah. getting to the, to the latter stages of it. Um, inter-county football is very unforgiving. And I think in order to prosper now, you need to be um, getting the game time. So, like, you can't come back with straight into a championship team. When I played, there would have been no problem doing that because uh, I don't think the rigors were uh, what it was now. And physically, it's a more demanding game than it was... So I think it's it's harder just to step out and step back in. So uh, as I said before, I think you know we may have seen the last of Jimmy. I hope I hope not. But uh, realistically, at his age, um, there's a good chance that that we could have seen the last of him. Yeah. Well, you know that would be such a shame because he is, as you say, such a talent, and he's one of the very few players that actually has been is able to sort of you know, go away and it doesn't take him long to get back into the stride again, you know? Yeah, and I think but he's a player that, that, that supporters like all over the country because he, he gets people off their seat and yeah. uh, he's exciting and he fits the profile of the of the big players in the game, the, the Cliffords and O'Callaghan's and, and boys like that, you know? But I suppose, I still feel as if we, we, we probably haven't seen the best of him because of the fact that he's been sort of in and out, you know? Yeah. And what about um, now Kieran Donaghy coming in? What do you think like, um, he's going to bring into the table? Well, I actually spoke to Mark O'Shea last week and it was interesting to hear what he had to say. He said that Kieran Donaghy had come in and he was very impressed with what he's seen from the Armagh players and that was nice to hear um, because it, nobody really knows what's going on inside the squad, I suppose, because it's that uh, things are that uh, tight and, that, and obviously that's the way it should be. But... Um, I think he's been impressed and I think the players themselves have been impressed um, and I think uh, a new voice a different voice and I suppose somebody that the gays will instantly respect he doesn't need a lot of time to build up rapport when you've got the CV that he has and I think that helps uh, again you know don't want to keep using it but you know Armagh have to hit the ground running as far as football is concerned but also bringing new people in and it's such a short period of time and uh, they've got to make an instant impact and I think uh, from what I'm hearing is that you know that that he has had that impact already and that um, that I suppose the proof will be in the pudding as far as you know how on what plays is, is there a slight tweak is there a change do we have a target man? Do we have playing? Are we um, playing more more players uh, on the at the top of the pitch? You know, so a bit of a carry mentality, maybe uh, tough. You know, t- toughness that. Yeah, and I th- and I think you know, like if I could give the uh, like Giza wouldn't want to hear this, but like you know, Arma are, are are have been easy to play against. In particular, if you go back to the. Ulster core, core, Ulsters, well, when they played Donegal, I can't yeah, remember if it was a yeah, quarter-final yeah. or semi-final, but when they played Donegal in Cavan last it's year, yeah. uh, it was very disappointing, and it was very disappointing because, uh, 
they you, stood off a bit yes and you felt that Armagh had an opportunity in that game uh, to really ruffle some feathers but uh, that didn't materialise and I think Armagh were too play, easy to play against that day so I think there'll be a concentration as well you know as you say on just being a bit more tougher to play against and, and there was nobody tougher to play they against they showed too much respect I felt and I think Kieran actually said that himself afterwards maybe um, but um, the thing about it too is that you know and he said this often that um, the northern teams like especially like Armagh get you know they get the, a, a reputation and they you know the referees give them a hard time and so I suppose you have to find that fine balance of you know trying not to you know get called for fouls all the time at the same time not being afraid to go in for tackles and finding that balance is probably dif- difficult and as well as that like you're up against um teams that are kicking lumps out of you your your nephews um Oshin and Rean O'Neill um you know they, they they get targeted quite a bit and things like that so it's it's it, it is a real fine balance isn't it it is a real fine balance you know as far as being targeted you know, anybody who's targeted should see that as a compliment yeah. because uh, they don't normally bad bad players don't get targeted. But um, I suppose Armagh look at Armagh need to create that mix. I think anybody will tell you up and down the country that's watched Armagh will tell you that they're as good as anybody from midfield up. Yeah. Uh, but defensively, there's a lot, there's a bit of work to do, and I think that goes as far as whether we're going to play. If we're going to improve as individuals. If we're going to improve as a as a as a as a defensive unit. So, I think that. Do you think they have the players? Uh, I think we have the players to be more competitive than we have been. Yeah. Um, as far as far as like, you know, I think I have done well. We're back in Division One. That's where everybody wanted to be. Um, but I think there's there's also um. There's also these little performances that keep getting thrown in, like the Donegal one last year. And I think if I'm a, you know, can eradicate those sort of performances, I think then, you know, you build a sense of confidence. And I think then players get a wee bit taller, they get a wee bit stronger. They, they, there's a little bit more know-how. I think um, you can no longer say this is a very young Armagh team. There's, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of experience there. So... Uh, as far as do we have the players, I think we have the players to be very, very competitive at, at both Division 1 and in the Ulster Championship. Yeah, and Division 1, like as you say, it's where, it's where we want to be. And the only way things can improve is playing against the right teams, which makes this um, this league campaign for so disappointing, you know, because they're yeah. not getting that opportunity. You know, they're playing the same old teams anyway. Yeah, you know? I think I think that the teams I would want to see them play is I, I love to see them play the Carries and the Dublins again, because... Uh, I think you find out a little bit more about yourself. I think when it's a mini also championship, you don't it's really know too where familiar. Yeah. It's just a little bit too familiar, and I think you know playing against Kerry you can open up and you can play a bit of football, and and I think this Dublin also let you do that. You know they they let you play football as 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 far as um, being open and expansive, but. Uh, yeah, it's disappointing that it's it's a mini Ulster Championship because uh, teams are way too familiar with each other. Players yeah. are way too familiar with each other. And then obviously you're not happy with the knockout format in the championship. <laughs> I suppose I'm not happy with a lot of things, but but uh, I just think that when you consider the um, the effort and the commitment the players have put in, and the reward could be 
three league games, four league games, uh, and one championship game. And again, when you're talking about uh, teams trying to, to build to build things up, if you look at Kerry, they have a perfect opportunity to build things. Dublin a perfect opportunity to build things because there's nobody in Leinster uh, going to beat Dublin after last year. I can't see anybody in Munster beating Kerry. So, you know, that gives them, them the opportunity to, to build up through the games that they're getting, uh, try different things, and then hit the ground running and all that semi-final. Whereas in Ulster, you know, uh, if you're off it on, on any particular day, you can get taken out. And that can be by a Division 3 team or a Division 4 team. Yeah. You know, and that's the history of the of the Ulster Championship. And that's how tough it is, you know. And even for the supporters, it's just going to be another, the same old, same old. There's not going to be much of a, a you know, a mix. No, I just think for the, for the for the team that gets out of the Ulster Championship, they will be well tried and tested. And, and, and uh, like if a Donegal or a Tyrone were to come out, there, there is a good opportunity that they could... You know they could be in an all Ireland final, and then you know anything can happen from there. But uh, it's pretty unforgiving. Yeah. You look so at, are you giving Armagh any chance? I have a great chance this year because they're, I think they're in the better side of the draw. Yeah, they are. I think again, first game, but after that, what do you? Yeah, well, it could, could come down to like we could be realistically talking at the end of the season about the two games they played against Monaghan. Do you know? Hopefully, you know Armagh can get past. Um, Antrim and uh and Monaghan won their first game against I think they were playing for Mana. So uh you know you would expect Armagh and Monaghan well, to be in an yeah. also semi final, you know, so one of those teams is gonna be an also final, so why not Armagh? And then, you know, you've got an opportunity, you're back in the big time as far as also finals are concerned, hopefully maybe supporters back to some degree. And uh, you're talking about a complete you put a completely different complexion on on everything that has happened over the last, you know, twelve months like. Yeah, I mean, and you have to own there, like they've, you know, new manager and all that kind of thing. So it might be a different, it might be a different team as well from what we would normally expect from them. Yeah, an unknown quantity probably because yeah. we've we've been used to you know Mickey Hart. We've been used to uh, the tactics that Mickey Hart brings, um, the way he likes to play football, and and I think Duhar and Logan will will change that completely. Uh, there'll be a big personnel personnel change as well. You know, there's a lot of boys who have come in there. There's a lot of young lads who maybe hadn't got the chance on the Mickey Hart. Who, who there's a good chance that they will come to the fore as well. So, uh, above all the teams in the country, I'm not saying that they're definitely going to win also championship or anything, but they're the most interesting to watch, especially with McShane and McKenna maybe playing the same uh, forward line. You know, yeah. and then throwing Derek Canavan into the mix, and they have. They have plenty of ammunition, you know. Yeah. And um, in terms of now the, the lockdown, I know I've been listening to you talking about, you know, players coming out of this and in terms of gambling addiction. And I know that you're um, heading up a, a new campaign, a Hidden Problem campaign. Yeah. Um, it's a real issue. Um, I think... I read somewhere that you you maintain it's going to be like a sixty percent increase in in problem gambling amongst young people due to this pandemic and due to you know all the issues that go with that. I think we due to the pandemic we've introduced a lot more people to gambling. A lot more people have found gambling, uh, and I think the acceleration from somebody who starts to gamble and to have an actual problem. I mean that time frame is shorter than it's ever been uh, so people are getting into ball a quicker um, I think people who are getting into ball are younger than they've ever been 
Um, if you look at us for a tiny nation, uh, we are third in the world as far as spend per capita. So uh, how much we gamble per person. Um, I think we've introduced a whole new demographic um, as far as gambling is concerned. So it was it was once a male dominated um, world, if you like. Uh, now um, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, women, a lot of females who are uh, in bother as far as gambling. And it's very difficult for those people to to go and look for help in recovery because recovery, as far as gambling is concerned, you go into a gamblers anonymous meeting is predominantly men. It's very difficult for a woman to go in there and stay there. Um, but look at it's it's a huge problem. Um, it, it it's it's grown and grown and grown. But you only see people and why I said it was why I like the fact that, you know, we're doing something around the hidden problem is that um you you ninety nine percent of the people who come forward as as in having a gambling problem will be a crisis point. So they'll have hidden everything from their family the whole way through. Um, and uh, all of a sudden the house is gambled from around the family. There's no money. Um, you know, the, the, the shit has really hit the fan yeah. for people. And all of a sudden they put their hands up and ask for help. Uh, it's never too late to ask for help. But a lot of the time there's I mean, a lot of damage done. Yeah, you know, so you're you're the proof of the pudding in, in that sense because you haven't. It's been like sixteen years now, yeah. and you do an awful lot of very good work. But um, the the fact that and you know you you say that a lot of women are doing it are gambling as well now. Um, obviously, like back when when you were gambling, it was probably you know people going to the bookies, and so it wasn't hidden as such. Now there's probably an awful lot more help out there and there's a lot more awareness and everything else. But yet, because probably because of phones, mobile phones and everything is done, you can just go into your bedroom, you can just gamble away. Nobody needs to know. It's so, so much easier to hide. So the problem, even though there's more help and it's very different, you know, is the problem worse, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's very much worse. And just, you know, from a couple of things you said there, as far as, when how accessible gambling is was now so if you watch the any if people watch very any of the advertising uh any of the gambling advertising i mean they've you know gambling advertising has made it the norm to have a bet when you're sitting in the toilet to have a bet when you're in the train in the car um walking in the park with the kids whatever i mean you know there it's constantly accessible um nothing seems to be off limits uh, no regulation, no legislation in this country. They've taken um, the, the the GAA like took a stance where you couldn't advertise, and I know you were in a very conflicted position with, with Cross yeah. and, um, the you know there isn't any anything out there you know on shirts and stuff like that now. But you know at the same time, it's still it, it it's still every you listen to sports stations and they're sponsored by yeah uh, you know, the, the, the off the ball is sponsored by and and, and they'll say. And I was just actually listening to it in the car on the way in. And this isn't a criticism of them. This is just in general. You know, they'll say sponsored by and the, the gamble, and then it will say gamble, gamble responsibly afterwards. Yeah. So it's like these conflicting messages. That, is it just words? Does it mean anything? You know? Yeah, no, it does. If you're, in, if you're you know, the only word you hear if you're a gambler is gamble. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So if you ever see that written down, if you see gamble yeah. aware It'll be a large, uh, g- uh, cap 
capital letters gamble and then small aware that's very sneaky and look that's only, that's only one of the small things I mean look as I say you know the GA did two things they, they banned the sponsorship and they stopped people gambling on underage games but imagine the GA as an organisation having to do that without that coming from governmental level yeah. I mean for me I mean we've been let down you know at the, at the, at the high level and the likes of myself or Neil McNamee or, or whoever going around and, and talking about it um, is fine and, and it does have a certain amount of impact but as far as people are concerned we have some sort of skin in the game so we are people who found ourselves in trouble because of gambling and as a result of that um, people look at us I think sometimes people look and they go well they are going to say that whereas if it comes from a different source or it comes from governmental level or at least you have regulation and legislation that 14 year olds are not able to go onto a um, to a website and begin gambling immediately um, I think if you, if you have uh, that along with the education piece then you're going somewhere yeah but Unless it's there's some sort of joined up thinking and there's some sort of um, drive from a governmental point of view, I think you sometimes you feel as if you're banging your head against a brick wall. It gets very very frustrating. Yeah, um, because you'll have people coming to you. You know, obviously you're a counselor and you have people coming to you. But as you said, that's when they're already. Yeah. You know, they've already gambled the house. You you don't want to get people then. You want to stop people before they start. And yeah, as you say, like it's younger and younger ages and even things like, um, do you remember that thing a couple of months ago about the GameStop, um, where, uh, the stock exchange, they put a false, um, I don't know what it was, they, but young kids are getting involved and now they're all becoming like, um, they're, they're on the stock market, so they're on the stock exchange. I mean, that's all gambling in, in a sense, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, there's little hidden pieces, you know, for from, uh, I know my wee father, he plays PlayStation every so often, he'd say to me, can I buy X, Y or Z? And, yeah. And that's just a little snippet into the world of of, of, uh, of gaming and gambling um, and where they cross over. And I think, you know, you made the point about, you know, about, uh, let's say, eSports. So sports is played online. And though it and gambling is, is inexplicably linked, as well as the sport that we know and love and watch. I mean, anybody who watches the Premier League will realise like that, you know, gambling sponsorship is absolutely everywhere it's rife and uh and they are very 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 powerful organizations multi-billion pound organizations that have uh, huge power over lots of different strands of society and strands of society that maybe we mightn't realize yeah um, and it's just the subtlety you know it's the way they will like rope kids in you know, in very subtle ways, you might, it's not, in, not necessarily in your face, but it's, um, it's there and it's so prevalent. And as you say, like, what do you think the government can do in terms of like stopping kids, young kids, like some people under 14? I mean, how, how do you think they could actually step in and do something, we'll just, actually do something? Well, just regulate us. I mean, the government, the, the bookmakers, they regulate themselves. Like, you know, it's when I, I keep saying, I've been saying that out loud for 10 years and every time I say it, it's just, absolutely shocks me um like if you're a 14 year old lad you go on to uh to a website and you want to gamble or an app 
And the first question they'll ask you, are you over 18? And you just which, click yes. To which you click yes. But it's the follow-up. I mean, every other, well, I'm going to say every other country in the world, but let's say, for example, Australia, who has the highest spend per capita, I mean, they are all over that as far as uh, not just, um, you know, within 24 hours, before you have a bet in Australia, you'll have to, um, the, that betting company will have to be in receipt of your ID. Yeah. Okay. In this country, we don't even follow it up. Right. And for me, that is absolutely shocking. I know I know, lads at 18 years of age going into treatment centres already having a serious problem with addiction, stealing, begging, borrowing, whatever it is, uh, find themselves in severe trouble uh, law-wise and all that sort of thing. Uh, and that's because they're starting at 13 years of age. Because when you start at 13 years of age, I started at 14, I wasn't making an informed decision. When I was walked into the bookies, I should have been thrown out of the bookies. I should have been asked to leave. Yeah. Or I should have been asked for ID, but that doesn't happen. And uh, unless we improve that um, and improve it quickly, uh, we are going to have the, well, look, we're already in that space, but it's just going to keep getting worse. And sporting, um, I was reading as well that um, um, people who play sports are at the higher level of sports and they, they're, there's a, like, they're three times more likely to be yeah. involved. Now, do you think... And there's probably a number of reasons for that, um, but would one of the reasons possibly be because, especially you know, these guys that they're training so hard, they're working, they're working so hard. A lot of other young kids like maybe go out at the weekend and whatever, and they can't, they can't go out. They don't, they don't have a release. So maybe is it some sort of an adrenaline rush, like the only sort of outlet they have instead of going out to the pub with their mates because they've got a match the next day, you know, they're in training. They need, because of their age, they just need some sort of a release or... That's the perfect explanation for it. Um, I think, you know, they're not socialising, they're not drinking. Obviously, they're not drugging because they'll be tested. But even uh, uh, lads who play competitive sport, so it doesn't have to be hey, hey level sport, yeah. but competitive sport um, are three times more, more prone to, be, um, to become problem gamblers. And uh, I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. The reason you just touched on, but also uh, there's a, in a lot of teams, there's, there's a gambling culture. Okay, so if one person gambles, the next point. So it might be, you know, a situation where it's talked about a lot. It might be the main topic of discussion on a WhatsApp group or yeah. different things like that. So I think uh, there's a number of different reasons for it. I think uh, probably the third reason is that People who play competitive sport are by nature quite competitive. Yeah. And they don't like losing. And uh, they find themselves chasing the money that they've lost and uh, losing more money and, and but not, you know, being able to step back but to keep chasing it. So I think that's probably the three main elements of, of, of what you described. Yeah. And probably because, you know, if they are sports people, most of the an awful lot of the betting is on sports so they'll be watching sports and then yeah they'll be watching other people putting bets down and yeah and they probably think that they have more of an insight into it and more of a knowledge so they yeah yeah, so so as soon as they start but is that it is it is it is it the as soon as you start um losing you're chasing the money or is it more than that is it the adrenaline rush that you get from it or it's definitely not just money a lot of people start gambling because something else in their life isn't 
uh, functioning in the way that they want to and it's a good escape for people because yeah. it's it's, it's a, like a fantasy world and that was part of my stuff was that you know I wanted to escape from the thoughts that I had and the feelings that I had and I started gambling so it's as much as about that as it is about finances yeah and you think now that after this pandemic we're going to be in big trouble in this country and probably everyone you know everywhere uh, with the amount of young people that are going to be in trouble look at how long is the, is, is the thing opened up a week and look at the, I can already see you know drink drugs gambling I can see all of those things already you know at a level that uh, we haven't seen before and uh, it's a pretty unforgiving place to be to be right now because young people are inundated with stuff as far as if we talk about television advertising a lot of young people don't even bother watching television, you know. Um, they're in their rooms, they're, yeah. But it's social media, it's yeah. Facebook, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's... Uh, I'm trying to think of... I'm trying to be cool and think of all the things that... TikTok. But I, I don't I don't know, I, I'm actually not on any social media, but... Um, Snapchat, all those sort of things, but like the, the level of, ga- of gambling advertisement on social media is also what saturation point is through the roof. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I was one I noticed recently. Um, there's a thing about you know betting um, to win a car and win a house and these are all. Yeah, they're all they're all like different strands of it. There's a lot of there's there's so many like and we, a lot uh, of they're all legitimate apparently. Yeah. And, um, do you like think there should be more? Yeah. Do you think there should be more? Like the lotto is advertised by the government and set up by the government, and do 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 you think that that should be, you know, they should put a halt to that? Or? Well, I think they need to regulate it. I think there's there's certain times during the day where it shouldn't be there because I think look at if somebody wants to gamble at 18, 19 years of age, they're making a, a an adult informed decision. Uh, but I think that when we expose. 12, 13, 14 year olds to the same advertising at the same time, um, then that's where the problems come from. Yeah. You know? And then, yeah, and anybody can walk into a, into a shop and buy scratch tickets, you know, scratch cards or, you know. Yeah, anybody. Um, they, they hide the cigarettes away behind a behind a wall and then there's all the scratch cards sitting up there on the counter staring at you. Yeah, they're in your face, yeah. you know, every time you walk into the door. So I, I don't envy anybody trying to you know, get into recovery away from, from gambling right now, but, but it's still very much doable. Like if anybody is in, in bother, I mean, uh, you know, it's Gamblers Anonymous. It's just, you know, just to even share it with somebody, family member, GP, coach, teacher, whatever. Yeah. Boss, I mean, you know. that's the thing. What would you say? I know Stephen Campbell is one person who's come out recently and yeah. um, admitted that he had a problem and he's, I think it's done him the world of good. He seems to be in a fantastic place right yeah. now. really, really happy. Um, from from what I gather from what he said himself, but um, what would you say to anybody out there who's um, you know who's hiding this at the moment, you know, and, and maybe think that there's no way out and they don't know where to turn? I know they can. What would you say to them? Uh, there's always a way out, um, and uh, you must share it with somebody else. You must share it with another human being. If you doesn't matter who that human being is. Once you share it with somebody, your gambling will never ever be the same again. Uh, and you have a massive opportunity for recovery. But also, um, when you're in that place, it's a very, very lonely place to be. 
and you feel as if you're on your own and you feel as if the only way you can get out of it is to gamble your way out of it and uh, and that's that's not the case um, and it's just to share as I say with another human being ask for help and that person can send post you to where you need to be but I mean pick up the phone ring gamblers anonymous uh, it, it's, it's self-explanatory it's anonymous yeah. so if you're worried about your anonymity or you're worried about other people knowing they don't have to know uh, I chose to, to speak about it whenever I had, had my issue but a lot of people don't and that's fine uh, both things work uh, but just to, to, to tap into some of the, the help that's out there um, and as I say for people who are, who are gambling or uh, have a gambling problem then gamblers known for a lot of people's first port of call but as I say it can be a GP it can be a family member it can be a friend it can be a teacher a coach whatever it yeah. doesn't really matter, but once you've shared it with somebody, then that help will come. Yeah. Okay, well, listen, thanks very much for talking to me, Oshin. And um, finally, your prediction for Sunday? <laughs> um, I actually predicted, in the, I better keep it constant, because I predicted from the column in the paper that it was going to be a draw. So oh, okay, well, you're, good, so you're sitting firmly on the good, fence. There's a good possibility it'll be a draw, but I think... If, uh, High scoring draw or low scoring draw? Low scoring draw, I think, you know, uh, there's some evidence out there that, that Monaghan are playing as defensively as they've ever played. But okay. um, look, what I'd love to see Armagh get off to great start, as I say. It's such an important game for both teams that I think it could be very cagey. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay, well, hopefully you'll be wrong in the other <laughs> <day>. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I'm usually am, so that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> Okay, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Oshin. And as I said, let's hope uh, he's wrong about Armagh this weekend and they get a win, not a draw. And if anybody out there is struggling with gambling, um, I urge you to listen to Oshin's advice. Don't forget to keep getting all of your news from Armagh Eye. And I hope you join us for our podcast the next time.